Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Digital Twin Fan Club podcast. I'm Henry Femi-Taylor, and I am joined today by Neil Thompson. Hello. And Alan Waha. Hello. Now, this is a weird one. Um, so uh, I don't know why you, why don't you two tell me what we're doing here today? Because <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure I understand. Well, it's, it's, it's fine. It's fine. So um, we're going to talk about the music industry and how we ma- how we see it and map it to the current and future state of our of our industry. And I guess let's let's start with a um, which um, which artist are we going to pretend to be the um, the A and R producer um, engineer etc. On today, Alan. <laughs> Yes, I, I like to, you know, play the role that I'm not qualified for, which is the artist, obviously. Um, so you're the singer, and uh, and I'm I'm just um, in admiration of an artist specifically, and that that's David Bowie, and um, and and I think that's why I think this analogy plays out so well. Oh, you know what's going to happen now. We've almost got a drinking game of things that Henry brings up all the time, and we're going to get um, no, Henry's no, favourite no, quotes. Not. No, no, you're not. But <laughs> we, I was, we will have to talk that because it's I really was so important. excited when when you said David Bowie. I was like, <gasps> I was going to say when you asked just off uh, off off recording a second ago, you asked who our favourite artists were. I thought, is it cliche to say David Bowie? Do I need to come up with a newer one? Do I have to say some random drum and bass outfit? Context. I don't think we've even seen the tip of the iceberg. I think the potential of what the internet is going to do to society, both good and bad, is unimaginable. I think we're actually on the cusp of something exhilarating and terrifying. It's just a tool, though, isn't it? No, it's not. No. No, it's an alien life form. What do you think... I mean, when you... Think then about the is there life on Mars? <laughs> yes, it's just landed here. But yeah. that's it's simply a different delivery system. There, you're arguing about something more profound. Oh yeah, I'm talking about the the, the actual context and the state of content is going to be so different to anything that we can really envisage at the moment, where the interplay between the user and the provider will be so insimpatico. It's going to it's going to crush our ideas of what m- mediums are all about. I, I think the conversation between technology and music has been fascinating. And, you know, at the beginning, we had a, a genre, electronic music, right? The Jean-Michel Jarre, the OMD, orchestral maneuver in the dark and the craft work and the front 242. And all these people really started playing with tech um, in, in music. And I think, I think it's a really interesting conversation um, because it's, it's not techy. It's 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 arty, um, mm. and and yet at the other end of the, the the techie or the business bit, which I think is the most important you know, parallel, is that the business of music is a huge business, which was transformed through technology, where the incumbent ended up having nothing, and or or not much, um, and where where those that really didn't think about it ended up. Owning, uh, owning the business, um, mm. and in that process, we, we reinvented how we how we c- 
consume music. So I think it's a fascinating story. This was inspired by a conversation you guys had uh, many years ago. I just wanted you to paint me the picture of what happened that fateful night. I don't think it was night, but we could we could pretend it's night. <laughs> we, no, we better not. It's Amsterdam. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We had a conversation in a in a meeting room. Did we say where that meeting room was? That was in Arab in Amsterdam. We were thinking about how does you know the role of data and business models shape the future of our industry. Ellen and I and, and others have, have written a paper that actually is aligned with this about um, you know businesses thinking themselves as are you a broker of data are you a um are you do you hold data do you um what kind of tools do you um sell to manipulate that data and and what have you so through that conversation we um i i did my my favorite oh well you know everyone thinks about spotify but did you know that you know digital music actually you got to record it digitally first before you can sell it digitally and when and from a design perspective i still think we're in the working out how to record digitally phase not the worrying about how to sell it digitally phase so certainly the the conversation was was while we were um, looking over a canal in uh, in Amsterdam out of a business office and thinking about digital and um and and the context was you know how can how can we paint analogies um to describe the journey um and understand the journey we are making to inform um to inform what the next step and our expectation might be and and it's when I say about the comparison and us being in the 70s, I don't think that's something to be overly negative about. I'm not beating the industry up because this is a complex this is a complex beast. We're talking about the thing that makes civilization tick over. I mean, life would be very sad without music, but you know, the wheels won't fall off society that quickly. It will fall off eventually because we will be depressed. But, uh, uh, but you know, the, the, the a founding building block of society is 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 our our constructed environment. A building block, you say? Yeah, and I guess that we could start with where our conversation started. So I I saw a, dec- a documentary a while ago. It was um, Dave Grohl from the Foo Fighters, and he was talking about um, Audio City recording studio in Los Angeles where, you know, you name it, everyone's recorded there from starting from Fleetwood Mac onwards. And the whole entire thing and um, was sort of centered around this, how the music music industry changed from um, sort of its analog beginnings into digital music and where it is today and sort of the peaks and troughs of the quality of music in that. And the thing that jumped out at me straight away is, you know, our industry goes around talking as if we can set up the Spotify of construction tomorrow. But I think the thing that we miss, and this is the thing I said to Ellen, is that actually there was a process of digitizing music that happened first in the late 70s that enabled that digital sharing of music fast forward into today's Spotify world. So if I had to place our journey on the music timeline, we are currently in the space of just recording music 
digitally, which, and to expand on that slightly, so if we think about the conditions of recording music back then, is the quality of the musicianship was much higher because recording studio space was very, very expensive. Because of the nature of recording on tape, you know, you could only get one or two takes at this, you had to get it right, and you had to be in time and all that stuff. So the, 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 the input quality was really high. Um, and then with, you know, with being able to record music digitally, brings down the costs, lowers the, lowers the barrier of entry for artists, but then also enabled artists to get away with having a lower level of musicianship because you can loop things, you can um, retune them, you can fix things when they go wrong re-trigger drums or so re-triggering drums is where you'd you'd have someone play the drums doesn't matter if it's in time or not and electronically you can split that drum part into pieces and put it back into time so uh yeah in the in the dave Grohl documentary they spoke about you know the quality of music as we entered the digital world sort of went down because you know ma- you know you could have m- mass produced artists and uh, and you know we'd say about the rise of the music industry as it was there and what alan was saying just there, you know where we've now reached this digital world where the artist is empowered in a different way the traditional supply of you know music has has changed we've sort of gone from selling volumes of uh, albums to that essentially being worthless because it's now on a digital platform and you charge per stream. Um, and that, you know, if you look at the price of an, an average gig ticket is much more expensive relative to inflation. I think, and I think what happens now is that we've got that ability to trade back on quality and let's call it, you know, the, the, the theatrical experience of, of the artist and the, and more of the experience with the art than just churning out a good pop song. So there was my, there's my monologue. Um, and um, and that's that's where we that's where we'll start. You know, it's uh, you know it's a fascinating conversation first because it is about you know music and music quality and an art and the impact of technology um, on 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 that uh, that part and it's so deeply important. Um, and I think you you said something very important. I think the beginning says you know the the history of music and the, the digital transformation of music, the art and the the business, um, is a story that is forty years old, and um, and and we are when we comparing the built environment because it's a much more complicated domain. We are at the very beginning, um, and I think if we look at it from a distribution point of view, for example, we could trace back the digitization of music at the invention of the CD. Um, that's when it became uh, mainstream, and then and and we can trace that back to 1985. And then you have the MP3 standardization that becomes an open format, and 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 the rest is history. Rio, iPod, iTunes, iTunes Store, Apple Music, Spotify. And that, that's, that's a 30 years journey that, that redefines a business. And, and in parallel to that, we have that, that conversation around music that had become a, probably re- really constrained in its creativity through the A&R business. Because ultimately, if you had a creative talent, you know, they first to get recorded, let's not forget, 
to get recorded, they, they, there was this guy chomping the cigar saying, you know, you get you good boy or you're not right uh, um, and um it's really great to watch the movie you know rocket man and 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 uh and and, and the like where where you see that power that these AR executives had and how we completely reintermediated that 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 story um and uh, you know stock eight in waterman they were you know contemporary of factory records and you know the two not sure that they were producing that great music, um, and uh, and and um, you know we we're in a different place for sure. Um, whether the artist is greater or lesser, I, I don't know. Mm. Um, I think we found a we, we found a new medium. It's yeah, interesting because somebody who's not massively, uh, you know, uh, interested in the recording side and the kind of industry side, it did seem. Um, as the MP3 format um, kind of became widely used, you know, you had uh, LimeWire and Napster, and it was seen as a huge threat to the industry. Um, and it forced and galvanized them into behaving in, uh, in, in different ways, and they had to restructure them, their business model entirely. Yeah, yeah, I think that's why it's uh, from a business point of view, and I'd like to come back at the art, uh, from a business point of view, it's fascinating. So MIT did a lot of research around the digital transformation of multiple businesses. Um, and here we're talking about the consumer business, and, and that obviously prompts the question, is the built environment really a built, you know, a, a, a business for the people, or is it the business for the developer, you know, the ENR of our industry? But but parking that for a second, um, we, we saw that... Um, when there is a digital transformation, you have the incumbent and the insurgent, and the insurgent has no market and no business model and no revenue, and we are talking about Napster. Um, and then you've got the incumbent, the HMV of this world, that have the market and the brand, um, but they are not actually wanting to innovate. And, um, and it really takes the incumbent to ignore um, the innovation that uh, a Rio or an Apple brings to the market to really lose their market share. And, and yes, Napster was too early um, in terms of a market. They, they just won the iPhones. They won the, they, 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 they won the, 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 the internet penetration to make it a viable business. Um, but those that said, hey, let's do something about it, uh, abstracted to the simplicity of a thousand songs in your pocket, why would you continue to be limited to 10 songs? If you can have a thousand songs, I'm not talking about MP3 standards and, and encoding standards. I'm just talking about a thousand songs, go and enjoy yourself. Um, that, that was very powerful. And they stole, right, by accident. Let's, let's make that point very strong. Apple was so convinced that they weren't going to play in the music business that they called themselves a Apple computer and reached a settlement with Apple Records that had published all the music of the Beatles, that the brand would coexist and that Apple Records had the rights to the Apple brand for the music business. That is on record. And, and, and there we go, 10 years later, through visionary strategy, I don't think so, through apathy of the incumbent, Apple inherits the music business. It was interesting because the uh, Beatles took a long, long time to get their music online. 
Yes, and, and I think there is the, 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 the other fascinating conversation around, you know, is this medium an interesting medium? Does it encourage better or worse music? And I think, it, you know, for me, the, 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 again, there's another watershed moment is Avicii, who is a musician that, is a, that, that for the first time is not composing in the same way as all the musicians that came before around lyrics and around songs and, and around instruments. It's, it's about programming and loops. Yeah. And it's, it, and it's to go back to that, that Napster piece is, um, <clears throat> is interesting because I think that the, you know, uh, yeah, Napster user, put my hand up and I think it was in, it was in 1996 is quoted to be when, um, the first, um, you know, ripped song was until it's well wouldn't be a thing without me slipping Metallica in, but so until it sleeps by Metallica was sort of quoted as one of the first songs to be to be ripped, as it were, to be to have its copyrights infringed. And you know, that's what got uh Lazaric on his and this is the drummer of Metallica on his, you know, his mission to, you know, there was, there was suing fans saying you're, you're, you know, we need, you're, you're breaking the system. And I think it's, it was an interesting moment because I think Lars Ulrich, although annoyed a lot of people, this, you know, alienated a lot of fans, but created a point in history where somebody had to do something about it. You know, Steve Jobs went down the route of we're going to sell every song again to everyone for 79p. <clears throat> Spotify was kind of there. Um, Spotify was sort of laughed at for a bit because you know, who's, who's, you know, because you we heard it all the time at the, at the time. Who's, who's not going to own their music? Like, you know, it's a little bit like with Dyson, people saying, why would I want to see the dust inside my, in, inside my vacuum cleaner? It's just, it's just, no, it's just not going to happen. And it's stalled. But then, um, I think with a generation, sort of, I guess my my generation, for, you know, their first proper um, experience of let's say only music was downloading MP3s from the from the internet. I mean, I haven't got a massive CD collection. Um, I don't have one at all. I've, I've my my beloved uh, music collection is essentially on a hard drive of all my old downloads from Spotify. I mean, if, I mean, if we compare it, let's say quality wise, you know, because of you know, I spent hours waiting for things to download the joy of receiving an mp3 after it's been downloaded off the peer-to-peer -peer -peer network after on dial-up is just you know and the, the sound quality is garbage you know if i think of the streaming quality of spotify today it's just pales into in comparison and it's not a thousand it's no longer a, a thousand songs in the pocket it's it's in, in the an infinite music experience in on any on any platform on any way you consume it etc and I, I think that's really important, right? Because we we had music as a deep cultural, societal, uh, emotional thing um, for, for for thousands of years, um, and and you know copyright of the lyrics in 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 emerges in the Middle Ages, and 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 then. Um, you you have you know the first star musicians the Mozarts and the, the Beethoven and 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 the like, and then you have an organ an, an industry that organizes itself around consumerism and a completely new medium right always this medium the medium of vinyl, the medium of radio and 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 then there's a new medium that arrives and is the digital medium, and and people forget that. 
importance of the medium. Um, and, and that's why I think it's spectacular to listen to David Bowie. I really encourage. This was, this was somebody that was at the intersection of technology and music. As a person, he was interested in technology. He invested in the early ISP provision business providers, you know, the, 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 that are now, you know, the virgin cable of this world. And because of that, he understands and he goes actually on the record in 98 with Jeremy Paxman um, to say it is a fundamental redefinition of the conversation between the audience and and the artist. He sees it. And, and you were taking the example of Metallica, the first trip record. Uh, I mean, iTunes uh, launched in 2001, right? So it's three years before iTunes. YouTube doesn't exist. Facebook doesn't exist. The iPod doesn't exist. And he already fundamentally says, but music is a deep emotional connection between an audience and its artist that right now is being controlled by a business uh, structure, um, the the NR business. And, and those people, instead of embracing the technology, reject it, see it as they are stealing money from us. They don't actually reimagine their business. Um, and I'll just take one example. You know, every high street has an had an HMV. The way you consume the music in the UK, I apologize for listeners that are people had an intimacy of going to HMV and getting the new record out, etc. And and their reaction to the CD and digital was mm, two stock item for one sale. This is bad. This doubled the complexity of my business. Can I charge this piece of plastic for a little bit more, right? And, and of course, that was their mindset because the people that were selling and pushing these things were Sony and Philips that were selling lots of players, right? So it was a tech-driven play. But nobody stood back and said, wait a minute, this is a fantastic opportunity to offer the back catalog of any artist, come to HMV, consume, discover. We'll have this fancy full machine at the back that would have been the size of a building that had all the music available ever. And then we will print your CD in, in the five minutes it takes for you to, to, to pay for it. And you would have given the whole back catalog. They didn't do that. They thought they wanted the premium on the CD they, 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 they were really annoyed that the, the, their floor space was now occupied by two types of boxers and they had to buy new boxers. Complete wrong mindset. And why do we know that? It's because when an exponential technology hits you, you have no chance. You have to embrace exponential technology because eventually it will win. It's interesting. So we talk about the, the intersection of technology and the artists and... Um, and this is one of the things that I um, reflect on with. There's a, um, a, a friend of mine called Will Squires, and we we, we sat down uh, quite a while ago now and thought about, you know, not that we're trying to tenuously tie this back to a digital tw twin, but I think there's this, there is this opportunity that we don't know. We can't articulate it. And if David Bowie was still here, I'd love to ask him his thoughts in terms of the, the creative Cap you know, if we if we connect our information up in the built environment and make it available and provide it, you know, we we, we provide public realm space for sculpture and and what have you. And I mean, there's there's a clear 
there's a clear social value to that um, because you know the materials are not cheap and you know getting an artist to do it isn't cheap it's a it's an expensive thing and I just wonder did, just to play with that thought do, do you have any thoughts on that how did that how can that pro- progress forward is there any anything that comes across your mind yes I, I think um, it's um, it's so diverse you know I, I think um, we, we we need to rethink in terms of space. I think what the built environment does is mostly provide space for some fundamental um, business, cultural, and living. Uh, you know, um, so 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 we, we we either live or we have a cultural exchange which is wrapped into a retail exchange. And and uh, and then we have a mobility need. And if you think about spaces in those three domains, I think it's really interesting that um, we can then start abstracting the thing that creates the space from the space which allows us to perform our mobility. And if we could reintermediate the provision of of space through thing by having less thing, I think it, it, it's it less concrete, less less steel. To, to provide the activity in the space, I think it's going to be uh, uh, revolutionary. And, and, uh, and that's what I mean by let the, the architects and, and the artists um, set up a completely new conversation with mm. their audience because this, the, the audience is the user of space. Um, and, and I think this is going to... This, this is going to be really interesting, and I think a lot of people are going after it at a very simple level. For example, if the built environment really does provide 36% of the carbon emission, and we are really going to try to go to, to net zero, then, then one great opportunity is to be able to dissociate the, the, the object from the space and if we could understand the space better and therefore provide and, and consume less object to provide the outcome, um, that, uh, that, that you know, gives us an opportunity to get to, to net zero. Um, example, because this is very abstract, we go into a meeting room to have a great meeting. Um, was the meeting effective? Um, are, are we ready to start sharing? We're going to school to get to a great educational outcome. Are we ready to start sharing? Uh, can this exponential technology start connecting uh, us and, and reset that conversation between the use of the space and the creation and the provider of the space? I think that's very interesting. There's a there's a clear uh, line here about um creativity and standardization and it's a tension through everything you guys have said i think so far um and i was listening to a uh, a podcast about actually game design um earlier today and they were they've been going through a very similar uh issue and somebody drew the analogy to um uh, the medical field because you need to know you need to be able to speak with other doctors other experts about the human body, but when you're describing that to a uh, a layperson, to your patient, you would not describe it in the same way. And I think in many ways, it occurred to me listening to it, that I think in the built environment, I think we might be um, the ancient Greeks 
we are describing the uses of space and we're describing how they're done. And if you look at classification and how that's described, it it has to remain at a very, very high level um, because we simply don't know enough about it. Um, and yet we're, we are trying to codify already. And it makes me think that we are probably as wise in the use of space as the ancient Greeks were in the functioning of the human body. Take that. <laughs> Mic drop. Well, I have to, might have to do a cross reference to that that po- that podcast episode. But this, it's quite interesting. I never really, I never really thought of it that way before. You've kind of floored me with that one. I've got, to, I've got to think, I've got to think about it. But it's it. So 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 hold on. So you so, so the podcast was called Ludography, and the key topics were about who is your audience. So who are you classifying for and who are you designing for? And Alan referenced that earlier with the who is who is the client, you know? With the comparison to most other industries, the, th- the thing that makes ours so idiosyncratic is our relationship with the land. We are connected to the ground in a very particular way. Like the the notion of ownership is 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 different for us because of the way that we treat the ownership of land and that whole cultural piece against anything else, because everything else can be served, can, can be folded into a service. Um, the ownership of land, although is attempted to, you know, we, uh, you know, I have, I own a tiny piece of land on this, uh, in this country, but it's not, uh, it's not like owning a CD or a car or a, or anything else. So it's, there's, there's that. I, I, and then the, the other thought that comes to mind is um, to go back to the music analogy. And I think it's very similar for games, actually, thinking about Steam, um, is, um, you know, I, I, I was in a band and I was in a band at a time when, uh, so we're talking like the mid-noughties, so it's, um, so MySpace was a main, main interface with people. You know, if you were on the stage, we'd say, you know, f- find us on MySpace. Um, and it's quite interesting. So I had an interest. So we, we, our band signed a publication deal. So I, I went down to St. John's Wood near, I didn't go to Abbey Road Studios, um, but Rack Studios nearby, where for, for people of a certain age, a guy called Mickey Most. Um, was uh, uh, I stood in his office and signed a publication deal, um, uh, which was quite strange. Um, and you know that that was all facilitated through digital platforms. You know we went um, some of our some of our songs were recorded in a recording studio, and the other half were essentially recorded on um, a laptop. And we reached this space with production where it's the, the that that um, there is no barrier to entry essentially to, to, to publishing music on the internet. Okay. There's, there's the owning a computer and internet connection. Um, but you know, the majority of people can have access to that. And I think this provides an interesting question about that lowering of, of the barrier of entry and applying that across what, um, our industry is quite interesting. So if we start thinking about wiki houses, 
Um, you know, it drives me nuts that I can't, there's no easy way for me to extend my house in a way that I want to. I want to be able to engage with the wiki house and, um, and, and, uh, create an extension that me and my wife can put together because be a great fun thing to do. Um, a lot of it's there. Um, but it's the relationship with the ground that, that it's the things I need to do to the ground that means that it makes it a very expensive process. So I'm not sure how we, you know, even if we look at, design for manufacturing assembly we're still talking about savings on program once you're coming out the ground um and that's that's something that i think is a key thing for us to overcome so a lot of people have a lot of stakes in that in the ground there don't they it's not just your land it's in england it's it, it it's in essex for your sins sorry people from essex i'm not sorry um, you know, there, there's these various layers of ownership and governance that apply to it, whereas games, music is about intellectual property and then distributing intellectual property. But that's that does apply in the built environment because you have now an explosion of digital objects being created by manufacturers or for manufacturers that are being put out into the public domain um, nearly always for free with some aspiration of making money from the physical product later it's almost to me the analogy there is it's almost like giving away your music in the hope that people will come to your gig i I think that's a great analogy i I think you know the built environment is infinitely more complex than the music one um if we if we come back but I think there, there's going to be some slivers, some areas where things are going to unlock in a spectacular way. Um, if we if we really can think back of, you know, if you were at Mozart time and you had sheet paper and you, you plot that journey in that context, where now people are just consuming, uh, I'm inventing music and, and somebody anywhere in the world can consume it while they're on the back of a scooter. It's just mind boggling. So I think we have to have that perspective with the built environment. The, 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 the idea that, um, for example, um, in, in the Chinese um, emergence and urbanization, we see, we see uh, thousands of towers coming out. And so the, the, the personal space concept is around and where land ownership is completely different concept as well, is I'm going to personalize my space and I'm going to download digital content and I'll have an uh, I, I'll have a configuration engine in which I create my my flat and then I press order and it it gets to me. That's not fanciful. That's happening today. And then it's creating a completely new people of interior designer that are just creating and living in a kind of a Minecraft world um, and, and helping people, you know, co-create spaces. And and and, the, and then you, you know, I, th- I think this, that encouragement, that journey, and then creating that, that, um, that opportunity to unlock things that I think uh, is, is fascinating. When we are in the UK on our island and we've got the lock of the land, etc. It's 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 quite hard, right? I, I'll just give the example of the uh, of of uh, the what what happened with music here is that you've servitized the consumption of music, right? You've you've you, you, you've you've created a way for you to just consume music as a service rather than buy the the, the IP as a thing. 
um, look at the same thing with mobility. My need is to get somewhere. And, and then I have an app that, that's happified that and says you can walk, you can take the public transport, there's a micro-mobility solution, just hop on that scooter, go to that bus, um, or, or just Uberize it. And, and then look at that structure of business that is saying, wait a minute, 94% of the cars that are made are parked. So, so, so there's quite a tie to the land and the factory there because that's 94% of car factories and car factory workers not required. Um, it's it's going to take a bit of time for us to extract from our guts this need to have a lump of metal. Um, maybe only a, a generation, but what, you know, what is what was that about? Will 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 our, our successor come along? Why did you have this? need to own a lump of metal. And then we say, wait a minute, what, what is this need to have so much personal space and get a bigger house and an older one is, is worth more? That's like the opposite of what we see in, in the cultural structure of, of Japan, where, you know, actually because of the way um, Japan got shaken by earthquake on a regular basis, the physical thing is a consumable. Um, and, and so I, th I think really exploring, wait, where is the conversation between the space, the built, the built environment that creates that space and the audience can, can lead to completely new way of thinking. I think, I think that's where we need to look at it. Do we need to look at it at the, 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 the hundreds of millions of, of people that are moving to towns and to, to cities in, in, uh, in, in India, for example, and will they, why can't they appify space? Why do they need to project themselves in, I will build a house, I will live in a condo, American or Australian size, and my success will be judged by a number of square feet that I've got. It's, it's, it's like, me thinking, and Neil, you were making the point, you don't own CDs. But but it was a Christmas present for how many years that, you know, grandma gave you a CD, you get you got a, a vinyl, it became a thing, right? That physical ownership of the thing, and now we've, we've moved on. So I have to ask you, what was the uh, first music that you bought? The, the first physical music that you bought? Mine is deeply embarrassing, so uh, I'll go last. <laughs> I'll do mine. It was uh, <laughs> oh my god! So from Woolworths, I purchased for the uh, my first music purchase was the um, Apollo four forty Mission Impossible theme tune from the film that came out because I had a, an obsession with that song when I first heard it. There we go. Correction: the track was actually Lost in Space by Apollo four forty, not Mission Impossible. Ugh. Correction. Yeah, I I, I can't honestly. Um, remember what it would be? I, I remember the first CD I bought. That was a that was a Prince CD um, because I was nice. a techie guy, and and I you know I, I I had one of the very early CD players um, because of of association with Philips, and so we needed things to play in it. And and my parents had classical music in it, and uh, you know they all marvelled at the silence. What was that about? Um, how how well did that age? 
Well, my uh, my first vinyl I bought was the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles soundtrack from ni- the 1990 film. Um, it had uh, Shredder's... Uh, no, not Shredder's. Oh, God, what's he called? What was the, um, what was the rat called? Uh, sensei. Splinter. Splinter. It had Splinter's rap on the back, on the B-side. That was great. The first tape I bought is... I don't know if it stood the test of time because it was um don't speak by no doubt and at the time i loved that but then gwen stefani's later career slightly soured my relationship with her oh dear <laughs> and which is the first digital track you bought um ah uh, so my one of the first things i wanted so this is on on uh napster uh it was um, uh, the beautiful people by um, oh by God what's what's his name Marilyn Manson and I set I, I and I and I set off into my new metal direction so after that it was Lincoln Park and I went I just went full angry guitar direction I, I think uh, there's something very telling here there's a very big distance in between that tape and the first digital music I purchased. Uh, which was the Radiohead in Rainbows album in 2007. So there was a long time until I I paid for music again. And that's Um, a perfect prompt to ask the following question, which is if digital music started in the 70s, the CD was launched in 1985 and that um, Napster was uh, 99, um, when did digital sales overtake physical sales in North America? Ooh. Um are we have we got a guess? Okay, I'll guess. Um I did a blog post on this and I can't think. Um And I think it's twenty thirteen. Wow. So, so you, in a in an exponential world, in a in the most you know digitally uh, fast adopting market. In a simple industry, um, it, it takes um, 14, 15 years for digital sales to overtake physical sales. And I think that calibration of, of the time constants, I think, is, is uh, I think very important to keep in mind on our journey from earlier on, we were saying we're still in the, uh, in the Greek times. <laughs> I think there's that... Uh, um there's an interesting analogy there with the uptake of technology generally about when, if you look at the difference, and I don't have the numbers to hand, and I might record this later, um, the difference between when did you get the first 50 million users of telephones, television, the inter- the, the general computer, the internet, and then um, the, I think the last one they reference is Pokemon Go that took something like two weeks to get 50 million users of course you got i think you'd have to normalize that for population and stuff but but yeah it it's uh that's about platform isn't it the the ability and the acceptability and accessibility of all that technology to get a hold of it where music was just available to people of uh neil's generation 
uh, and younger, I think there is now a generation of people who have access to 3D printers and are just take it totally for granted that they can make a physical thing in their world um, and all they need is access to the, to the design. Um, and you probably, um, it, it's the wild west of that design still, where like it was with music, where um, the designer of that thing um, there's no guarantee that they're going to be getting royalties or getting the appropriate credit for that design and that work. Yes, it's it's very exciting, isn't it? Um, to think about about that, um, like the fact that the the the, the royalty um, were being used to fund the artist and all the business, and that just went away when physical sales. Um, went down. I, I think something similar will will happen, um, and it wouldn't be a bad thing um, necessarily. I, I think it's 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 fascinating um, where people are going to start sharing design, sharing great ideas, and it's uh, actually the ability to execute and contribute and make things stackable and shareable. That it's going to be, I, I think, very very um, very exciting. To think that you know a a, um, a a space or a room that works um, would be shared and copyable, and somebody would build upon that design. And um, if you, if we think that this is fanciful, um, let's let's have a look at generative design, of course, where where you are writing a rule that says you know if the, if there are so many um, students in this classroom, then this is how you lay it out and therefore this is the boundaries and it, it starts generating the classroom based on that simple input and your knowledge of what works is, is just encoded in this equation. Uh, and then those representation being uploaded into an open source platform like Hyper that is saying, right, now that this is going um, this has created a, a load and structural demand that um, another designer says, oh, if you are creating a, a, a space and that space needs to be seismically uh, resisted, therefore this is how you would make it out of steel. And they've got the piece of generative code that describes the steel and takes as an input what is the space and the load of the, of the space. And then the platform runs and reconfigure the building and the outcome of what to build. These things are happening today. Um, and of course, it sounds fanciful um, to think that the guys at the ETH are then connecting that to their robots and the robots are cutting the metal. Um, we, we are a long way from, from, um, from having that in every house, but I, I think it's coming. And I think to to cap that off, and I think it's you know you said about these things sound insane, but let's let's cast back to uh, 1962 when John Lennon, Paul McCartney, George Harrison, and Pete Best signed the deal for the Beatles. Now, if you sat in the room then and said, in 58 years' time, um, you'll be um, you'll be selling your material as it's played. Every time somebody plays it, some you're going to get some form of revenue from it. Someone would have gone, that's, that's, that's insane. What, what happens? A man goes around and listens out to all the music that's being played and asks them for a, for a, for a penny. That's outrageous. I think Ringo would have been on board. 
<laughs> yeah, Ringo, Ringo might have been on board, but um, but you know, it's this, I, I, and I think it's you know some of the things that sound absurd today are you know, and, and you, I think you draw a very good analogy there because it's uh, sometimes you just got to think of well, what 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 do the kids take for granted today? Um, you know, for me, you know, it was access to free artist material on the internet for the first time. Um, yeah, I, I think that three D printed space is an interesting one, and maybe that's a uh, the next step i've been putting a lot of thought into that because i think we we totally from a philosophical point of view take for granted um you know we we are everything we have the power we have as a citizen is built all the way back down to fire uh, or controlling fire and we are standing on the top of those things and um it goes back to that uh uh, what is it? Um, I can't remember the guy. Who's the guy who hosts Mock the Week? Dobrain. Dobrain. Yeah, it goes back to uh, Dario Breen's uh, skit about going back in time and having to explain to uh, Michelangelo and Leonardo da Vinci how modern things work. And you just end up saying, uh, plugs in to the wall for, you know, your toaster, the internet, uh, you know, the TV, all of these things. How do they work? You just plug them into the wall. Anyway, I just thought that's entertaining. So there we go. I, I think it's been an interesting conversation. Yeah, definitely. And thank you. A, a bit random, but um, certainly covered a lot of ground. It wasn't as random as I thought it was going to be. When Neil first floated this idea to me of a um, how music is like a building, I thought, well, this is going to be a stretch. But no, thanks very much. It was really good. I, I think it's less random than than you think. I think there's there's a lot more, um, you know, every every domain. Every time you look at it and you go, ah, as you say, wh- wh- why is it like that? It goes back to far. It goes back to land. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Digital Twin Fan Club podcast with myself, Henry Fenby-Taylor, Neil Thompson and Alal Waha. You can come check us out on Twitter at the Digital Twin. You can find us on LinkedIn. Um, We have a page if you just search for Digital Twin Fan Club, you'll find us there. And the podcast itself is available on all major podcast providers. You take care.